Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Descom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger parts. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What is up, guys? Before we get into this episode, I do want to place a quick trigger warning on the contents inside of this episode because we do talk a lot about JD's mental health journey, including type 1 diabetes, and there is a mention of suicide, so I do want to place that quick disclosure before moving on to this episode. But we are ready, so let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to Keep 100 Radio. I am so excited for today's episode because we have a very special guest who I've actually known for uh, six or seven years now. I didn't do the math, but <laughs> today we have Jiggy Yoon. Jiggy is a youth motivational speaker teaching college students how to excel in their craft and prioritize their mental health so that they can optimize their performance and continue building their legacy during and after college. JD is a performance coach helping young professionals and competitive athletes build strategies and obtain sustainable and successful careers. Additionally, JD is the founder of Vulnerability is Dope, which I'm wearing for shirt right now, an apparel collection with a meaningful message. JD believes in the power of both self-discipline and self-compassion, beast mode and human, hustle and healing. We got it. We got it. Dude, this is why I give you two options. You got the short bio and the long bio. You chose this life. I took life. the long one. I took the long you one. You chose this life. <laughs> Jiggy, what did I miss? Introduce yourself. Let's hear it. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> Nothing? With all that effort. Um, <laughs> no, I think that that describes pretty well where I'm at today. Um, along with those things, uh, I'm a friend. I'm a partner. I'm a best friend I'm the hardest critic of myself while practicing self-compassion for myself but in the end I truly just I'm just passionate about people's mental health um, alongside extreme work ethic I believe that mental health is really important which has shown with you since the day I met you which has been a long like it's been a long time I met you my senior year of college I think yeah that fall semester I remember it being cold the day that I met you I remember like we were wearing jackets so yeah I I think it was probably like late winter semester or fall semester or spring early spring semester but yeah it it felt like a sketchy drug deal (laughs) (laughs) at the corner of the street and I just pull up in the car and I just reach out my hand and you just give me the goods I'm like who is this okay blue car all right got it here you go (laughs) and we've Um, never met before but that was wonderful It was great. Did you, so I, we, that was, yeah, that was, had to be late 
fall because I had just started the um, the CDN chapter, the College Diabetes Network chapter at Penn State, and that's kind of how we got connected through other right. members through there. Because mm-hmm. um, you just needed like an extra pod or something. It was like, all right, <laughs> where are the other diabetics on campus at Penn State? Yeah, um, I was. Um working I had already graduated by then and I had my first full-time job and at that job I was working with one of your CDN members and we used to go back and forth in the office if she needed us something I gave it to her if I needed something I was like yo do you because she I believe didn't have Omnipod at the time so I asked her does she know anybody else which I did not because when I was a student I didn't know anybody who was uh, who had type 1 diabetes and so she told me about college diabetes network Penn State chapter she told me that she's gonna just all she got to do is take out her phone and message a bunch of people. And then apparently all these people volunteered and one of them was you and we met up and you literally saved my life without even knowing who I was. No, it was literally just a pod, but it was, that was like the start of a beautiful friendship because then from there, uh, like, I don't remember the first time we actually like hung out, but you like dog sat my dog on Easter when I had to like work a 13 hour shift, which junior still loves you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and Joey did not get along. It was awkward. Like Joey was on one side of the room and Junior was on the other side of the room and they just like slept all day. And I was like, this is really awkward, guys. Like you're just in the same room. You're not going to even look at each other. You know that thing that dogs do where they're just like looking at each other in the corner of their eye. Joey's uh, such a happy so boy and Junior's like anxious all the time. So <laughs> the Prozac has helped. The Prozac has helped. I'm glad. He's a good boy though, Junior. Both of them. But you have been there literally since like I first got my death tom. That was like the first I I didn't go on a death tom until like four years in my diagnosis. And then <laughs> I'm in the I'm in Miami, so afraid of the death tom G5 because it's like the one that you had to manually insert. So you just FaceTime me and you're like, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this now. Ready? Countdown. <laughs> Three, two, one. I'm like, Damn. Yeah, you were texting me freaking out. I'm like, mm-mm. We're not about to do this. <laughs> Yeah, it is scary, though, like uh, anything that even when I used to have an Omnipod where it's just like you're like, waiting for it to go and just like go in. I'm like, praying. I know. Like, deep breaths, deep breaths. Please don't bleed. Please don't be a bad sight. Please don't hurt. But with the G5, it was like you had to do it yourself. Like you had to push the needle in. And that was yeah. just, like so terrifying to me. Yeah, I used to have to do it at work and I will go into the bathroom and I'm just like, <laughs> just like <laughs> I don't miss those days I don't nope. nope not at all but let's let's talk a little bit about your your journey like your diagnosis journeys we we're we we're diagnosed pretty much around the same age right uh yeah I was diagnosed well I was diagnosed my freshman year of college at Penn State yeah. I yeah. was eight, 18 years old by then my spring semester um how it happened was right before spring break, I started to notice that my skin was getting really dry. I would like pee so much. I would wake up in the middle of the night or when we used to go canning and we would have to go on those really long drives to go to somebody's house. Like mm-hmm. I would be in the car, like shaking my friend who's driving, like, please pull over, find an exit because I got this right now <laughs> we just, like that happened so many times to a point where it really caught my attention and so when I went home for spring break I told my mom and she was a nurse at the time so she said once you go back to school uh get tested for diabetes because your dad has type 2 and so I went 
And yeah, the doctor says, you got a sugar problem. And I said, the fuck does that mean? And he said, you have type one diabetes. He explained to me the difference between type one and type two. Um, right then and there, I just started crying, called my mom to tell her about it. And she just started screaming in the, on the phone. She's like, what are you doing away in college being so irresponsible? Like I told you to take care of your health while you're over there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like defending myself. Like, okay, so what I'm hearing is that type one's not the same as type two. What I'm hearing is that like, there's nothing I could have done to prevent this. What I'm hearing is that it's not my fault, but you're screaming at me and I'm confused. Um, so from that point on, you know, like um, I didn't have any support. I went through it on my own. My friends in the dance crew did their best, like try to, to try to understand what it means. Um, but social media wasn't really a thing back then other than like maybe Facebook. And it's not like I knew to look up diabetes support group on Facebook. Right. Uh, so I truly just like went about it alone. And that's why I was so excited to hear about College Diabetes Network when you started it, because that's exactly the community that I would have wanted, but I didn't have it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, same here. I was diagnosed. It, it, it was literally the same situation, like right before spring break or yeah, February of my freshman year, which was very different times. So you graduated before me. Um, but yeah. So like, as far as the, the response from your mom, like how did that mentality kind of dictate or, or, um, like change the way that you, you handled the diagnosis? Like, how was that transition? I definitely felt lonely. Um, and I just kind of went about it like, oh, okay, so I guess I'm on my own. And I obviously didn't feel supported by my family at all. Um, but I, I honestly like didn't take it well because I remember like when I was in the hospital, they sent me, the, once I got diagnosed, my blood sugar was like 500 or something. So they take me, took me to the emergency room. It was my first time in the emergency room. It was my first time ever staying overnight at a hospital. So my friends were there for me, not my family, my friends were there for me. And I remember when the nurse came in and said like, you can't leave here unless we see you that, see you inject yourself. And I remember just like holding the syringe in my hand and like, I couldn't do it. And I was like, man, this is my life now. And I, ha I have to do it on my own. This freaking sucks. And I had that whole like, why me complex. Um, but the thing about my diagnosis also is that I'm not saying that there's ever a convenient time in life to be diagnosed with a chronic illness because there isn't, but this truly was not a convenient time at all. And it happened during a time when my life was already so complicated. I had already experienced some traumatic things like right before college started. And this was my freshman year. So I didn't have the time to like heal from those things. So when this diagnosis came along, I was like, oh, great. Another thing. And then like a few months after the diagnosis, I go back home for summer break and my mom gets diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, oh, great. Another thing. And come sophomore year, look at me. I'm already using my supplies for self-harm, using my diabetes supplies for self-harm. And at that point, I was like fed up isn't even the word, like fed up with my life wasn't even the word. If people watching right now know my story, which I've told them many times, you know, that I tried to like overdose on insulin. And I, that's just what happened because I didn't have community, because I didn't know where to turn for support or help. I didn't know what kind of questions to ask in terms of what kind of help I needed. The only question I asked, I remember this, when I was in class, I had my first low 
And so I tweeted the American Diabetes Association or something. And I was like, are Cliff Bars okay for me to eat when I have a low? Like th- that's what I asked. Yeah, they actually responded. They were like, "No, um, if you're low right now, like you need juice <laughs> or something. Like you need something faster." So that's when I had to like learn more about the difference between like juice and Cliff Bars. Um, right. But yeah, that's how it kind of that's how it kind of started. Yeah, and and like to your point, I think that's really where like it, just even thinking about like our different experiences, right? Like and the different impacts of having either having a community or not having that community and support plays its role because, okay, for example, when I was terrified of injecting my death com, like I just talked about, I had you to FaceTime, even though we were thousands of miles apart, I still had that support from somebody who said, I know this is going to suck. I know that this is terrifying to do right now, but this is like, you're going to do it. and I'm going to be here for you. And even when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, I literally still have that text screenshotted Jiggy of like, when I texted you and I was like, I am so mad at God right now. I'm so upset. Like I have never experienced this with my body. And like, just again, having somebody to that understood and that like expressed the, the compassion and, and held that space, I wouldn't have never gotten through it. So just yeah emphasizing the important importance of that support in that community and I'm I'm glad that you have it now but like how did that impact I mean obviously it did based on what you were telling us but how did that impact the the mental health component the mindset behind the diagnosis just your journey kind of moving forward after that diagnosis man my awareness around mental health was so low back in the day like who I am today was not at all who I was back then and so I constantly had this mindset of life is constantly about survival and life is constantly about perseverance because that was just the story of my life and so even though I had that experience of attempting to end it all I didn't even pick that up as a sign like I didn't even look at that situation as like shit I need help I was more like, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. So I'll just pretend nothing happened because um, it happened in my dorm room. My roommate wasn't there. Um, What I did was the next day I used to like rap and write songs at the time. And so the next day to express myself, I wrote a song, I recorded it and I uploaded it on my YouTube page. And I ended the song saying I was supposed to die last night. Um, but people hear songs and they think it's just an expression or things like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think anybody really took it seriously. I didn't come out with my story, that story until like 2019. And that's when friends like started to be like, Jiggy, I remember that song that you wrote. Was that the day? I was like, yep. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so to me back then at that moment, when that happened, I just went about it as if it's just another day like to me I looked at it like me then looked at it as like oh that was a bad day okay like I guess I'll just keep going um nothing specifically happened where I switched my mindset Mm -hmm. nothing specifically happened um but I think that I've just been praying about it that man if this is something that I'm gonna live with for the rest of my life because ain't no cinnamon coming to rescue um 
I was just praying and I was just like, if I'm going to live with this thing for the rest of my life, how can I love it? How can I embrace it versus like hating it all the time, wanting it, kicking it out of my life, like all the time and ignoring it because ignoring it will only get me back into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't need that. That causes attention. I'm the kind of person who doesn't want to inconvenience anybody, you know, that's why I didn't tell anybody about what happened. Mm-hmm. And so continuing with this whole like I'm on my own mindset um I just did my best the way that I could so I think I was just constantly surviving more than anything but um I remember the one I think it was my actually senior year senior years yes it was my senior year senior year spring break I remember uh it was my diversity during spring break. And I said, I, I, I sat in the table that I was eating at and I was like, today's my diversity. And I'm like, from this point forward, I am committing to embracing my diabetes and loving my diabetes. Like no longer will I have a toxic uh, relationship. And so that's the day when I started to like, every diversity, I, I, I write a love letter to my diabetes. And I say like, you know, this year's been a tough year for us, but you know what? I love you no matter what. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get help. Like da da da. I'm gonna take care of you. Like all that stuff. So every year I just kind of started doing that. Started writing love letters to my diabetes. Um, but yeah, nothing specifically happened where I was like inspired to take care of my diabetes. I didn't have inspiration then, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was truly on my own. Just one day decided to turn things around, change the narrative. Yeah, well, you, t- you so it, obviously in the way that you're talking about it, like it was a decision and like, so how do you, what did you do to partner with that decision? Because that's really hard to shift the mindset and, and like shift the internal dialogue and then shift the emotions around it. So I know that you talked about like the letters on your anniversary, but what other steps did you take, support did you get to like kind of bring the bridge that together? Yeah. So as a performance coach, I always tell my clients that it's not about the how first, it's about the decision and the commitment first, and then you figure out the how. So I, in this moment, when I made the decision to embrace my diabetes, it's not because I finally arrived at a point in my life where I was like, today's a good day. Like today's a good day to embrace my diabetes and moving forward. I'm going to love it so much. Like that's not how it happened. I was just kind of like sick and tired of it. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to just do this. I'm just going to look at it more positively. And then I started to go about the grind of positivity, um, which is very foreign to me. The concept of positivity has always been like very hard for me um, throughout life. And so I think my diabetes and accepting it has been a huge part of me changing my dialogue throughout the years. But the more and more I wanted to learn how to embrace my diabetes, even in the hard days, even in the hard weeks, hard months, how do I continue to show up to take care of myself? Because diabetes burnout is a thing too. And that's when I really learned the power of self-compassion as well. So Mm -hmm. self-compassion, when I talk about self-compassion for high performance, yeah, I speak to students. Yeah, I speak to athletes, but I also get invited to speak to type one diabetics. Because this is a marathon. And again, 
cinnamon is not coming to the rescue. And so it's like, how do we show up for ourselves every single day and with compassion? And I think that showing up for ourselves, I finally realized that showing up for ourselves doesn't mean that we're going to get the perfect number every single day. That's perfection. Showing up for ourselves means just like take just showing up for ourselves, no matter what it looks like. So whether it's with discipline or whether it's with encouraging rest, whether it's with you know what, like, I remember having to like commit to I'm gonna test my blood sugars like five times a day. And I remember, that's what you and I worked on too. Mm -hmm. Because I started to neglect myself because I was so burnt out. Mm -hmm. So if showing up for myself can simply mean you know what, I'm gonna check my blood sugar five times a day, no matter, no matter if I like the number that I see or not, I'm gonna do it. Because today, that's how I'm gonna take care of myself. Yeah. And maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, I'm like chucking across the room and I'm not getting out of bed. Maybe that's what tomorrow looks like. But today, at the least I can do for myself is to take my is to check my blood sugar like five times a day. So that's how like or if I look at a number and if it's not what I like, I know people always say like, you are not your numbers. Your numbers don't define you. And people, it, it can sound like a cheesy motivational poster, but it is true like we cannot let it define like there's no oh my gosh yo like I'm so Asian and I'm just trying to get like a 4.0 GPA A1C for diabetes like I'm trying to get a 4.0 A1C really jiggy like you're trying to get an A plus honors like my diabetic is an honors student like an honors diabetic <laughs> like that's not what that's really like what I wanted to perfect because perfection and excellence was always what I sought after but I just, it took me a long time to understand, like, it's not about being perfect. It's not about doing it for my endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. It's about doing it for myself. Yeah. And, and I, I just hate that, like, toxic positivity mindset of, oh, just think positive or, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it's really hard to agree with that when you're handed these impossible situations that, mm -hmm. you know, we're all confronted with at some point or another, but yeah. it was actually you that I remember you, I think it was in your presentation for, um, oh, was it, it wasn't CDN. Maybe it was, uh, one of the slipstreams. Um, and you had said like, whatever a hundred percent is that day show up with that like a hundred percent doesn't have to look the same way and that's actually like I tell my clients that all the time now because of you and I feel like it just perfectly goes into that and like when we talk about inside of keep 100 we talk about the minimum viable commitment one thing that you're going to do for yourself today at the bare minimum so if it's checking your blood sugar five times a day that's awesome if it's checking your blood sugar and correcting that's awesome if it's going for a run great but we have to kind of give ourselves that grace that hundred percent is never going to look the same, no matter mm -hmm. who we are, what we do for a living, what, whoever, even if you're diabetic or not, there's never going to be one way of showing up. Right. The term that I used was a uh, one best at a time. Yes. Like, like right. one step at a time, but one best at a time. That's mm -hmm. I think what I said. Yeah. And I love that because that can look so different. And I think it just allows ourselves to meet ourselves where we are. Cause you're right. There's so much burnout that can come with diabetes of even sometimes just changing my pump. I'm like, I'm so sick of the beeping. I'm so sick of like the, the pinching and the adhesive. Like, I don't want to do that today. So, okay. Maybe I'll go on a, a pump break and like, that's okay. Yeah. There was, there came a day when I was like, I hate, I had this pump. I hate it. I hated this pump. Hated it. 
And one day I was like, I'm, I need a pump break. And then there was the, my last day on a pump. Yeah, yeah. You don't use a, a pump or a CGM still, right? Right. What made you decide that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Keep it. It's authentic. Um, what made me decide that? I think uh, because you talk about this a lot and you really helped me understand this concept of not letting the lifestyle of diabetes really dictate how our lifestyle is supposed to be. Um, it should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so I started to train Muay Thai. And at that time, I had both Omnipod and Dexcom. And that was fine. The thing that I noticed was that like, I would get so sweaty that they would just like peel off in the shower. And it was just really frustrating because it's not like my insurance is going to cover every time I need another one just because something slipped. It just got to a point where it was just like annoying more than anything. And so then I got off the Omnipod and I only stayed with a Dexcom. That worked for, or actually worked really well for a long time. And then came jujitsu and I tried to do it with the Dexcom, but somebody would like push on it, lean on it, tip it off. I would roll on it. It just hurts. Like it would like rip off in the most inconvenient way sometimes in the middle of like rolling. And I'm like, this ain't it. This can't be it. This mm -hmm. sucks. I don't like this. It was like such a constant distraction for me. And um, I don't want to be somebody who tells my training partner like, hey, here's this device that's really expensive. So please don't touch it. Because right. I don't, I again, don't want to impede my training partner's training either. And also I was distracted. I was like, oh, you can't roll that way because oh, you can't go. And I was like, this is dumb. I don't like this. So I said, what does it look like for me to just do this naked? Um, so since then, I've just been doing it naked. So in any other contest, people would be like, you're doing jujitsu naked. <laughs> But you've had like you've had endos kind of like push the agenda of technology, right? Like you've had quite a bit of that. Yeah. I'm I'm just like not the biggest un, un, unfortunate unfortunately, I am not the biggest fan of endocrinologists at all. I think um the one the best endocrinologist I have was back at Penn State and I miss her so much it was always her and like my diabetes educator and like they would always ask like how my if I was like talking to a girl or something they'd be like oh how's she doing and like I'd be like oh she's stressing me out they'd be like you know that affects your blood sugar and I'd be like okay <laughs> they were the best um but since then I've moved um a lot and had to just find different endocrinologists and who I thought would be really great turned out to be very um not. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe having an endocrinologist who also had type 1 diabetes would be great. It felt more like a competition as to who is the better diabetic. Um, so when endocrinologists like pushed this agenda of like you need a pump check out this latest technology from such and such that turned out to be the worst pump in the world. Ugh. 
I was fine. I was literally, this was a time when I just had a Dexcom and my pen and I was fine. That line was always straight. I don't know why she tried to push this pump so much, but once I got this pump, it went crazy. And she's like, give it three more months. What? No, I don't want to. I kept losing sleep. And it was like, you know, when you say that it it affects the quality of my life, Mm -hmm. you know, it's bad when it gets to that level. But yeah, like she really pushed that agenda too. And then um, I've been told like by an endocrinologist, I cannot help you if you don't have technology. And that helped me. That made me feel like feel super defeated because I'm like, man, I'm a lost cause. And that's those are the kind of moments that make me feel like I can't do this. I can't live my life the way that I want to. And I can't do the things that I want to like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. Like I can't do it the way that I want to, because mm-hmm. that's kind of the dialogue that they put on me. And that's why I so leaned on the things that you were talking about, because here are these endocrinologists who talk to me for 10 minutes and then it doesn't help. It didn't help me at all. Those visits didn't help me at all. Like, I feel as though I just, I don't, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what I need an endocrinologist for, to be honest, other than writing my prescription. And it sucks to say that because I know that there's so many people out there who are so grateful for their endocrinologist, but like, I'm happy for you. And that's not the dialogue for me. And so that's why I seek out other resources like community or I learn more from meetups than I ever have at an endocrinologist um, appointment or like stuff that you teach or a book or something. But yeah, I just get education from elsewhere other than endocrinologists. It sucks to say that it really does, but it's just my reality. But in a way, in a way, it's it's actually like amazing that you're doing that because it's rather than giving into that narrative of I can't live my life the way that I want to because I I need to wear this technology or I need to do it their way. You're you're changing the narrative and you're saying I'm going to do this my my way and I'm going to find a way to do it. So it's actually you know like it may be upsetting that you can't lean on your endocrinologist, but you're utilizing other resources to do again the best that you can to make your lifestyle work for you and not everybody does that and they have to give up the things that they love the the activities the foods the relationships the like you know like those dreams I know people who give up on their dreams to be like a actor or a singer or anything that's like outside of the traditional corporate world because they're afraid of losing health insurance like Mm. it just just all those narratives that the general like health care system feeds to us is so damaging and just like makes us resent this disease so much. I hate it. Yeah, I would. Again, I constantly have this mindset of like, ah, I'm on my own. So when an endocrinologist say something like that, I'm like, ah, looks like I'm alone again and I'm on my own and figure it out on my own again. And um, I mean, you give me very practical advice. They judged me <laughs> not just with i'm just i want to be nice and say nicer things but this is my truth and like my therapist and i are working on like not being afraid to express my emotions and like identifying my i'm so i'm like i'm just gonna say it i'm pissed like i did not have endo- good endocrinologist experiences i missed my first one i don't know where she is at now um and that's that <laughs> 
I think it's okay to you, you know, take the parts of those appointments that work for you. Like I'll go to my, I don't, I'll just say I've made these changes. That's why Z, this is maybe where I have a question. All right, cool. Walk out with my prescription. And, you know, I think it's okay to take ownership of the pieces that you feel comfortable taking over. Uh, I don't know. I think everybody has their own experiences, but mm. it's unfortunate that they kind of rolled around that way. Yeah. And because those visits were like 10 minutes long, even if they were, I don't know if they don't want to come up, like have a dialogue with me, have a conversation Mm -hmm. with me, like ask me like, what's going on here? Like, I think I told you one time, like my endocrinologist was like, oh, you've gained weight. You must be stressed. And I'm like, I'm fucking burned out. Like, but like, you're just going to tell me, you're just going to tell me that I gained weight and that I must be stressed. Like you're assuming things versus like, asking me and then trying to like figure out another way figure out a way to relieve the stress so that my blood sugar can be better I don't know I don't know but I mean they were very like numbers based and that's fine and I think that's why outside of these appointments I talk to you or ask you questions or you tell me you make suggestions and I try them out and do them and you know like when I show up with a better a1c or something it's not because of them it's because of yeah. you, you know? Like, well, it's also the importance of getting to the root cause. Like if you're, if they're just making assumptions of, oh, your blood sugars are worse because you gain weight or you're, you gain weight because you're stressed. Those are so fu- Like, of course we're stressed. We're living with a chronic disease, but like, thank you for not actually helping me find what's causing it. And, you know, whatever, some doctors will just prescribe appetite suppressants. And like, that's not always the solution to like mm-hmm. just medicate. Um all right. So th- I know that was kind of like off topic, but I want to get to <laughs> some about diabetes. <laughs> no, I think it's important for people to hear that like technology is not the end all be all. I think if it supports your lifestyle, that's great. Like for me, when I was on injections, I stopped eating because I hated injecting. But mm. like for you, it was the opposite. Like you couldn't do the things that you loved and be all like all in because of the technology. So I think it's important to hear both sides. Mm-hmm. Um but kind of going back to our conversation from before. So like, let's just kind of, you know, skip a few years and talk about where you are now. You are living in California. And from, from when I've seen you, like your life has changed a lot. So like, let's talk about where you are now. Where I am now. Living my dreams. (laughs) And I'm not saying that I am where I want to be like way into the future of my speaking career traveling the world and having my own tv show and all these things um but I have to be honest with myself I wake up every morning in California now and I look at palm trees and I've been here for like three four years now and I'm like wow palm trees I remember the days when I had to look them up on Instagram Or sometimes I go to like Beverly Hills and there's like a row of palm trees. And I'm like, wow, you're looking like a calendar or like a desktop wallpaper. Like, I remember seeing you and now you're in front of my eyes. And speaking wise, like 2021 is finally the first year that I didn't have to look for any jobs. That was my biggest goal. And I didn't have to go on LinkedIn, no nothing. I didn't have to look for a job. I went the whole year speaking. Um, I got certified by the world's number one motivational speaker. 
um and it's just like up and up right now in this moment actually this season right now is the most excited i've been about my business and really passionate and i it's finally like showing fruit to a point where i'm like man all those sacrifices I made, all the risks I took, like me moving across the country to chase my dreams and making all the decisions that I made that were not hard, that made no sense. It's like, wow, it, I'm really on the other side now. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be harder and harder, but I'm just saying like, man, I know I belong here. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know I'm going to win. Like I can tell now, like, oh, yeah, I'm not crazy for thinking that one day I'm going to blow up. <laughs> like, oh. I, I'm, I'm like, oh, everything really is coming together. And um, I think I'm just like, I'm at a point in my life where I can finally say this. I mean, I'm proud of myself. And uh, what I do for a living is talking about my life, you know, um, how I've persevered through the shit over and over again and I I was like 17 years old and on like a kid in Queens New York making it on our own like homeless grocery shopping in the dollar store like living in a basement with no windows like this the Satan was speaking to me in my dreams when my mom died through her voice like I wouldn't do so much shit and I used to just be so suicidal and just wanting to end it all because like people kept telling me that things happen for a reason and it's happening because God loves me and I'm like how the heck is this love and I used to think that like I was creative for God to laugh have something to laugh at sometimes and I own the only hope that I had without my faith then was this is happening for a reason this is happening for a reason and I didn't know what that reason was but now all I got to do is just talk about my life, how I went through it and encourage other people to do the same. And I get paid for it. <laughs> no complaints there. <laughs> but truly, like it became really clear to me this year that those I want the people I want to help is like the young jiggies, like mm -hmm. um, people, young jiggy as in like people who's just going through it and don't have any ounce of hope left. Don't have other people feeding them with a silver spoon. Mm -hmm. And just like really feeling alone in the journey, but trying to make sense out of everything. Those are the people that I want to encourage and I'm doing it. And it's dope. <laughs> I can just see it in your face. You're like, this is fucking cool. This is, I'm pretty impressed with myself, but I'm like, man, I have more. I know, yo, entrepreneurs are so annoying. They're always like, they're always saying this stuff. Like, it's only the beginning we're just getting started it's only the beginning it's like always the beginning like it's like always only the beginning <laughs> but so I hate saying it but I'm like man I got more to do mm -hmm. um I'm finally understanding what it means that like your life is really what you make of it and I'm finally at a place in entrepreneurship where I'm having fun and I'm like man I can do anything I want and anything I want to create I can do that so I feel powerful. I feel like I have control of my life because I never felt this way before. Uh, so yeah, where I am today, I'm, I'm all right. So different, even so different from when I met you, like you're working at the, the clothing store down the street. Um, 
you know, hanging out in state college and now you're in California doing all the things that you're doing. And it's so incredible to watch. And I'm still waiting for Ellen to get back to my, my, uh, <laughs> my email of saying Virginia, <laughs> it'll happen. Listen, this year is her last season. And then it's like, I grew up watching her. She was my hero. Um, but I'm next. Yep. That's it. Um, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm, I'm just saying it right now. No, um, no, I'm really upset that it's our last season, but. All right. Going back to, um, cause you mentioned who you help right now. And it kind of ties in with my last question of, of, you know, looking back at younger Jiggy or looking at the, the younger, uh, younger adults that you support right now, like, what would you tell yourself? What do you tell them? Anybody who's kind of in that space of, I don't know what I'm looking forward to. I'm dealing with these impossible situations. What is your advice to them? Or what, like, what do you wish that you knew at that time? I think I have two different answers, which I don't even know if it lands for those who are listening, but because who I am today and the language that I speak now is not at all the language that I spoke or even believed in back then. So just like I said, like positivity to me back then was complete bullshit. Like my bro- my dad gave me the power of positivity book when I was like 12 and I still haven't read it. Like he gave me when I was 12 years old. I have it. I haven't read it. And um, because I thought it was just complete bullshit. Um Nowadays, I talk about affirmations and abundance. I'm like, da 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 da. You gotta believe, you gotta have faith, like that. But at the time, so that's why I'm just like, my, I wish, not I wish, my, one of my answers is you are guided, you're provided for, and you're protected. That's my advice now. And I can hear my younger self being like, Prove it then. Show me. Because I don't feel provided for right now. I don't feel guided right now. I don't feel protected at all right now. Are you kidding me? I'm living in a basement with no windows. How am I protected? How am I got how where am I provided for right now? But the other answer that I have is for me to tell my younger self, I'm here for you. But I can also hear my younger self being like, so what? What are you going to do for me? I was like a really angry kid. I felt really helpless. I felt really purposeless. Um, But that's why I do what I do now, because I am the voice that I wish I had. And um, nowadays, like when I'm speaking, I don't want to I don't want to speak at a school that just wants just another speaker. I want to speak at a school whose teachers and faculty like truly are passionate about taking care of their students while also taking care of their own well-being. I believe that like teachers mental health is just is just as important as the students, but also having the passion for their well-being, not just for their time in college, but also afterwards, because everything, all the consequences of me not taking care of myself in college rolled over to the real world, too. Mm -hmm. And so. That's why I do what I do now, because I want to be the voice that I needed. And also not just by speaking, but also like practically, literally like hand in hand guiding them. That's why I want to. That's why I do coaching, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But advice. 
wise, I would say that you are guided, you're provided for, and you're protected, and I'm here for you. But other than that, just keep fucking going because you're right. There is purpose to this. So freaking powerful. And even if it like it feels hard to believe right in that moment, I think just trusting, trusting that is so important. So let, let's talk about just real quick, like resources, um, like people, organizations, what you do for anybody who feels maybe in that stuck feeling or um, just anybody who may may need that extra support. Are you talking about general people or also like type 1 diabetes? Um, probably anybody listening to this is more type 1 diabetic. So let's maybe gear it there. I think um, community that you trust is really important. And I think that I always hype up like the, our community because I, I think our community is really full of very empathetic people who are complete badasses. We live in a world now where you can look up like people on social media and be connected with them uh we live in a world now like back in the day i used to have to like not i didn't even think there would ever be uh, a crossfit athlete who has type 1 diabetes and when i was training or like i never thought that there was ever a muay thai fighter or a jiu-jitsu athlete with type 1 diabetes so then i went and looked for them and now i'm like gathering my troops but i'm understanding that whatever you want to accomplish in life there's somebody out there doing it with type 1 diabetes we at that point now y'all so um i think that if you're feeling lonely you're definitely not alone in this journey and to look for a community that you trust i think that at this point i definitely highlight the word trust because unfortunately i've the more i've got to see i've gotten to see the dark side of the diabetes community that some people have warned me about but I didn't understand what they were talking about. But mm-hmm. now that I know, now I'm honestly, it sucks to say, but I'm scared. And so I stick to a very small group of people I trust. Um, but again, I think that people who you align with in terms of your core values and integrity, um, make sure that they don't have a bad article written about them. <laughs> um, but yeah, get plugged into, I mean, Lissy is definitely the top top person that I definitely trust uh, with any of my friends or any of my information that I may have. I know there's a whole thing going on right now about diabetes coaches. And I, yo, I don't, I can't relate because my coach, she not, she not bad at all. So I can't relate. Um, But yeah, community you trust and team Lissy. That's it. (laughs) All right. Well, what about Team Jiggy? What do you, like, where can people find you for support for what you do? Um, listen to other speaking opportunities, hire you. Where can we find you? I'm very active on Instagram. So at Jiggy underscore Yoon. I have a YouTube channel as well. Just look at my name and then JiggyYoon.com. I'll put all of your links in the show notes, but Oh, thank you so much for this conversation. Like this one has been probably one of the best ones yet. And I'm really excited to share it. Dude, before we end, I have to tell, I have to show you off to all the listeners and people who follow Lissy. Like you're not just following another 
diabetes influencer i i hate the word influencer like people know that about me lissy's like not a diabetes influencer she has a gem a diamond of her own like the homie really cares about the people not just money she talks about it all the time but i remember the day she texted me telling me she's gonna quit her job to do this shit i remember that day when she texted me that she's going to quit. Like she went through it as much as I have. When you're an entrepreneur, you want to chase your dreams. It's not an easy thing. And to stick with it, no matter how much, how much views you might not get, how many followers you might not have, like the work you put in, like, I remember being so proud of her website when it went up because it looks sick. And like she killed it because she looks so much better than mine. And I'm like, how the hell did you do this? But the level of work ethic that Lissy has with all this content, all this information, putting together free webinars, like it's not easy. And she's killing it. And she's doing a really great job. And so Lissy, I'm so proud of you. Like you're such a gangster. You're killing it. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do anything. I'm doing, I'm doing I it because I want to. I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. I can't believe how far, like how much we've been through together, even like across the country. So I'm so proud of you. And just thank you so much for again, sharing your journey, your story, and just like sharing how far you've come. It's incredible. Lissy back in the day hired me to speak at a CD and JDRF event. Wow. We've come far. We have. That was awesome. A lot of people yeah. related to that. That was a cool event. That's being your highlight reel. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you.